take what you do, your fantastic techie solution, and break it down to the everyday implementation. When your users sit at their desk and they are performing a task that your product will solve. Think low-tech. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Jonas Ene. I'm founder and CEO of Guava and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Jonas. Thank you, Josef. How are you? It's Friday. I'm good. I'm looking forward to the weekend to uh, play some tennis and perhaps be outdoors a bit, perhaps. Ah, nice. And then first thing first, always, can you, Jonas, please do the elevator pitch? What does your company, Goava, do? Well, we help B2B sales organizations. Uh, We help them by providing them with their next business opportunity, telling them which company to contact, what to talk about, and whom to talk to. And this we do by collecting and analyzing using AI uh, data about companies, Nordic companies. So that's what we do. We help them basically to sell more efficiently, to connect buyers and sellers. It's a huge need. And uh, let's go into some storytelling then, because I love to listen to good stories. So Jonas, can you please tell me this story of how Goava started and why? From the very beginning, all the way back in uh, 2012, uh, I founded another company, which was also a sales intelligence company. Out of the fact that I was frustrated myself when doing, when selling basically, because all I had were those spreadsheets with company names, phone numbers, maybe, maybe something else, the amount of employees or, or, I mean, their address or something. And I felt that this is not enough to do a relevant, uh, interesting pitch. Uh, it's, it's much too, too bland and generic. Uh, and I also realized that that meant that I had to do research on top of whatever data I had, and that took time, and that kind of basically destroyed the efficiency of the operation. So having worked with different intelligence solutions, I kind of created the concept where I brought together financial data and news coverage and data from the web in one place. So that was a long time ago. And then when in twenty end of 2016, when we founded Guava, me and Henrik Stritzberg, it was based upon the fact that we saw the an ever bigger need for efficiency in B2B sales and that relevance was the key word. And as Henrik Stritzberg likes to say that the only problem that every single company out there has is with sales. Nobody is ever 100% 
happy with how they're performing in sales, there's always room for efficiency. So it's kind of a universal need that we, we address. Now you have been doing this for quite some years too. You're not the first year anymore. <laughs> no, a lot has happened and, we, and we've seen a lot happening in our market too. I mean, the maturity is much bigger. Uh, I mean, 10, 10 years ago, sales tech wasn't really a thing. The only sales tech you had was basically a CRM system. Marketing tech was kind of emerging. I mean, people were using uh, Google ads and the like and started starting to use marketing automation. But, you know, very early days and, and very low maturity. And the latest years, especially, I mean, since the, the pandemic, companies have become much, much more mature and started to use tech a lot more in their marketing and sales efforts. Yeah. And uh, moving into business development, talking about KPIs. Which KPI or which top KPIs are the most important for you? And why have you chosen them? I mean, it's pretty, we have a pretty kind of basic approach to this. We look at the MRR we generate in new sales, and we look at it especially from the MRR per effective sales rep. Since we are scaling, we have a lot of uh, employees that are fairly new. So what we do in order to make sure that we are properly efficient is that we divide it by those who are fully ramped up to get a good to get a good picture and to always keep that in mind and see if yeah make sure we're on the right trajectory and then of course we focus on on net retention for obvious reasons it's the key to to achieving good growth um, and we also track our NPS um, and I mean, that has several implications. Of course, it's super important to know if the users like what you do, but also a very good way to kind of see the trend and where you're headed and, and know what effects stuff has. And it's a good way to, I mean, you see it in NPS before you see it in, in sales and retention. So it's a good thing to, to keep tabs on. These four KPIs uh, or three and a half KPIs are quite business oriented. If you're going to highlight one more product KPI, which, which is the main one from a product KPI perspective? Uh, usage levels, definitely. Are you looking into them daily or weekly? Uh, what, what is when you have used Guava? When you have used Guava, it's, it's interactions in the, in the interface of different uh, sorts. It's, um, I mean, many of our customers use us for prospecting. And then, of course, we keep track of how many companies are converted in our system. That is where we have given a suggestion, an AI-driven recommendation of a, about a company. And then we'll see how many companies have gone from that stage being recommended to being imported into their CRM system. That's uh, that's one, one specific key. And then, of course, we look in general, too, just to see the the overall trends in the usage, if it's going uh, up or down or just uh, sideways. Thank you for sharing. And uh, before uh, before moving on, uh, I have one last follow on here on KPIs. Maybe I've already said it. I think so. But if you don't ask, you don't know. What is your 
North Star metric. Of all your KPIs, what is the North Star metric? I would say it's net retention. Amazing. Let's move on to another part of business development, and that is go-to-market strategies, sales structures. Can you please share some of your best practices around go-to-market strategies for a company that's been a startup, but now is moving on more towards the scale-up? What, what is your best practices here? Well, to define, define the structure uh, and to really properly think through what you do, what works, and uh, then implement that in a structured manner. Uh, because as long as you're, especially when you're in the real startup phase, where you basically do everything yourself and, and stuff is more ad hoc, um, it, it's you don't you don't need that much structure. It's just to, you know, get the work done and 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 move on. But as soon as there are many people, um, and perhaps in in different markets too, you definitely need good structure not to lose your way. Uh, and that's that can be a challenge too. Sometimes you don't realize that you lack structure until you see see symptoms of uh, of problems there. And if we take this one level deep, uh, deep on, when you talk about structure, can you please share some concrete areas of where you have seen a lot of gain in putting in structures of that specific structure? Yeah, one thing is uh, obviously, and this fits into what we work with ourselves, to have a very good idea about what companies you target and why you target them to always have that, the why, the reason for all contacts. And that goes through to structure too, to make sure that every every sales rep, we have outbound, uh, we're, we're an outbound team uh, to the largest extent to make sure that they know which companies to target and they can reach those companies in an efficient manner. But also we, I mean, we need to think about structure and process too. And we have at times kind of forgotten about that part, kind of relied on that good service we have and almost forgotten about, no, there are other aspects of doing this too. So, so that's kind of my advice in general. I mean, you can't, you can't rely on, on systems to 100%. You need to make sure you have a good, good process and good workflows to support it. Do you have any like tips and tricks regarding defining, because you didn't say that word, but as I heard it, you were into ICP too, when you said you need to have the why for why you contact them and you need to know exactly who you should contact. Do you have any structured advice for figuring out the why or how you figure out the ICP? The basis, the foundation of everything is of course the, the value that you as a company contribute with to your customers. And that value in itself, it corresponds to some need uh, that the customer has. So basically the, the most basic question is which companies have that need and when when is that need the biggest? Uh, and that kind of gives, gives the answer to everything. So for example, if you're, if your need is to um, scale up a sales team in a new market, well, the need is as at its biggest when you are about to expand into a new market. 
So the reason for calling someone to help with that is, okay, I saw that you are expanding into a new market and I have a solution here that will help you do this as efficiently as possible and you'll avoid a bunch of pains that are commonly associated with doing this. So this is kind of like getting to the reason for talking to a company, really thinking from their perspective, when do they have the pains and needs that we can help them solve? And then, of course, looking at where, where, I mean, which kind of companies have those pains? Where are they located? And here's where you can use a, a service such as Guava or, or some of our competitors, for that matter, to just be able to name those companies, know which companies there are and how many there are and where they're located and get data about them. Yeah, and you were already tapping into this now, uh, how to approach a contact, uh, you're an outbound uh, team. What would you say then is the best way to do code outreach to you? If somebody should contact you, how do you like prefer to get approached in a modern way? That's a very interesting question, which I find, which I think about a lot for obvious reasons, since we do it ourselves. Um, when it comes to contacting me, it needs to be personal. I uh, and it, there needs to be a clear purpose about it. That's what I do. I mean, I scan through, I scan through the emails I receive really quickly, look at what they do, and then I try to determine if it's if they wrote it themselves or not. Most of them are not written by those reps themselves. For one thing, they tend to be kind of too well-written, too well-structured. And I can see, you know, you can see the structure of the email. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's that that tactic. I know what this person's trying to do. And that kind of puts me off. When someone shows that really actually know something about us, have read up on us, made their research, then I'm like, hmm, good. Then they end up in my good book. But in the end, of course, they have to provide a service that we are in need of. And they also need to basically, I mean, I mean, uh, they can't rely on like a one shot try. They have to try multiple times and, and uh, in multiple channels. Then it can really work, you know, in a, in a humble and, and positive manner. Just remind me about the message in email, LinkedIn maybe a phone call, maybe a video message, that's good. Show who they are. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's this person. Good. Then I have here in my notes, it should be personal and with a clear purpose. You should see that it's thought food, made some research, not just uh, uh, spray and pray. And uh, the timing is also of essential because you need to actually be needing or uh, could potentially need the dip the service that they provide right now and multi-channel mix, email, LinkedIn, phone calls, and video messaging. Yeah, yeah I need to show that they really want to reach me. <laughs> if, they give, if they give up immediately, then I know, okay, then it wasn't that interesting for them. It's time for a lighter topic. Here, I want to know a fun fact about yourself. Can you share something? Yeah, I was thinking, I've been thinking long and hard about this one. And, and I, I, I'm not sure there are any f fun facts about me, just kind of boring facts about me. Uh, the, the only thing I can think about is that even though I, I, I'm 40 plus now, I still play football and I still suck at playing football. 
but I continue because I love doing it and still dream about still becoming a good football player some someday, maybe in my 50s. <laughs> and as long as Slatan plays and he's born in 81 like me, I can play too. So I still watch like YouTube tutorials about what to do, how to shoot a ball, how to dribble someone that, that I read or rather look at tutorials about. One of my favorite quotes is that a winner is just a loser that never quit. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's just a question of time now. My, my breakthrough is, is just, you know, moments away. Fingers crossed for that. And uh, shifting back, Jonas, to a bit more serious uh, topic, uh, mistakes. What would you say is one of your biggest mistakes that you have ever made in business? Yeah, my biggest mistake, uh, it's kind of more of a recurring theme to my mistakes, but it's really to not trust my instincts and my gut feeling. Uh, to instead, at times, doing as I... When, when I think, oh, this is probably the right thing to say, this is the right thing to do, instead of going for, for what I actually somewhere know is the right solution. So that, that really is, uh, has been central to my, I'd say to my development also as an entrepreneur and, and CEO to realize this and, and to try to make sure that I really follow my conviction. Super powerful. And uh, do you have any like small hacks to save yourself or tackle this more and more? The older you get. Well, I think one, one good thing is to become older <laughs> and, and it, it becomes kind of easier to be, be yourself. Um, and you kind of, uh, except for, you know, the football playing and that it's, you know, accepting who you are and kind of becoming more, more stubborn in your personality, not caring as much about what people think. So that's not much of a strategy, kind of time solves <laughs> this for you. But no, I, I, mean, I mean, the only thing I could say to someone is trust, just trust the instinct and have faith in the fact that things tend to go well when you do that. This leads me into a topic of your choice. One of my segments here is actually me just sipping it and uh, letting you talk a few minutes about something that and, and, and you must be you must be super nerdy and passionate about this topic so what is a topic of your choice today something that i'm passionate about that not many others seem to be passionate about unfortunately i think it's super interesting to look at the whole SaaS area from kind of a from a distance and from a you know, almost philosophical perspective. I mean, there are tons and tons and tons of SaaS businesses that disrupt um, different industries. And what I think a lot about without ever finding any answers is what happens with time? I mean, what will the relation between all the SaaS startups and their kind of mother industries be with time when the technology has matured when you know when everything is cloud-based um what will happen will it st still be like a super duper vibrant SaaS 
community, you know, with tons of innovation and people being able to start new companies and being all empowered and, and finding them their true selves? Or will it be, you know, more like before? I mean, companies become older and more entrenched in their, in their positions uh, and, and they grow more complacent and become conservative. Uh, will it become not as fun anymore? I don't know. I think about that. I, I, I think it's fascinating because I think this whole period in time, especially now when you know the whole startup boom happened, I think that it's a kind of a unique period in time uh, and in in business history. And I wonder what will come afterwards, if we'll continue to, to disrupt and innovate. I hope so. That would be much, much more fun than everyone working at, like at a big institution kind of company. I mean, continuing to find new business ideas and creating companies, you need to kind of have that in the back of your head. How will it pan out in the long, long run? What's your main belief right now? Maybe it will shift in like five years, but what, what's your main belief right now? I think stuff... Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think it will be as fun as it has been. This whole boom of companies, I think it's kind of the same as when, when you know, the railways were created. The steam engine was invented and people started, yeah, I mean, creating railway companies and building railways from everywhere to anywhere uh, from a to b and b to z and Oatila, uh, you know and, and there were tons of railroad companies people made great fortunes and people lost great fortunes and in the end we ended up with like sg and you know monopolies and and something else and i think that's what happened that that is what happens with time. So it's kind of pessimistic, but that will take quite some time. And in the meantime, I think we should all do a lot of business and have fun and do podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Good twist here with the positive angle uh, on this topic. <laughs> so then we leave uh, a topic of your choice uh, that, uh, from my perspective, was uh, the sauce area and sauce industry from a philosophical perspective. And we move on to an external question from a listener because I love to lift in other people too. It's not to just not be me and you. I, I'm looking for network effects and uh, giving other people a voice too. So today's question is from Rasmus Basilier at Euroscaler in Finland. And this is his question to you. Hi, Jonas. What would you say is a very odd lesson you've learned as a CEO that you think might be good for me as a leader and entrepreneur to hear? I don't know if it's if it's really that odd this lesson, but something I have I have learned during my time as a startup entrepreneur is is how important it is to take what you do, your fantastic techy solution and break it down to something very mundane break it down to the everyday implementation um, so i mean look at the what the job you actually do think it all the way through to when the people 
when your users sit at their desk and they are performing a task that your product will solve. It's very easy to get lost in kind of all those lofty big ideas and concepts and tech and AI and machine learning and whatever. But in the end, I mean, think low tech, just low tech, mundane, boring tasks, because that's when you help people. That's what you help them with in practice. Uh, this one I liked. Maybe this one will be the like snippet for or one of the <laughs> promo for, for, for LinkedIn. I said, yeah, this was powerful. Uh, so uh, Rasmus, thank you for a really interesting question and Jonas, good answer. Thank you, Rasmus. We move on to the segment of leadership. And first thing here, my, it's a straight tuning one. It's not so easy for you to answer maybe, but I need to ask it. Are you a good leader? Uh, in some ways, yes. In other ways, no. I think there's always, always, always room for improvement here. And I think you evolve as a leader constantly and, and through your life. I mean, as we become different people in different phases of our lives, I think we are different kinds of leaders with different qualities at different times. And if we're talking about superpowers, uh, you mentioned things that makes uh, you from, uh, from a perspective a good leader. What would you say are your core superpowers that is most es essential for Jonas at Guava? One is listening and understanding people. Another is, and this is uh, actually, it's more about being an entrepreneur, but CO2, it's uh, never giving up. You said yourself uh, about the winner being the loser that never gave up. I never give up. So that's my superpower. Great. Yeah. This is a bit like Asma's question, uh, but from a leader's perspective, because uh, I want to know if you can share an odd thing you or a leader above you in the past have done that seemed really strange now when you look back at it. But also at the same time, it had a ton amount of impact. One thing I've only, I've mostly been an entrepreneur in, in my professional life. But at one point during a year, I was employed. And I don't know what's super strange, but what I learned then was early on in my, my career. It's, I mean, the power of ideas. Uh, that guy, Jonas Ander. He spoke so much about theories and about like long-term trends. And, and you know, I and then some people with me thought that, okay, but that's all very theoretical. Do we really need to focus on that? Can we just, I mean, be like more here and now? But then in the end, I realized two things. One is that it's a very good way to sell stuff, to get them sold on the vision. Uh, and the kind of long-term consequences of stuff. It's a, it's a great way and it's a more fun way uh, of doing doing things. And I also realized that, that, you know, in a way you can predict the future. Many of the things he was talking about and that by extension I was talking about when doing sales for him then happened. We worked with marketing automation when that was completely new. 
almost no one out there knew what marketing automation was. And all the things we described there, they've kind of, they've happened. So it's it's the power of ideas, really. And then that also goes back to my thing about trusting yourself and your instincts in the long run. Yeah, the power of the spoken word is real. Yeah, yeah. Was it Steve Jobs who said it? The best way to predict the future is to create it yourself. <laughs> I don't know, but it sounds like something he would have said. Yeah. And, and I would uh, subscribe to that. I think so too. And then uh, shifting from this very inspiring and positive angle, Jonas, I must address uh, bad things, worst things. Yeah. What is the worst things, according to you, to be a leader? And please tell me how you tackle tackle it. Well, for me, I am a, kind of a, an introvert. I'm a social introvert, meaning that I kind of like being the center of attention and speaking to people. But also being an introvert, I sometimes feel that ah, I have to be in front of everyone. And um, what I do and what I say People react to it. They think about it and they can be like, oh, I wonder why he's in such a grumpy mood. That's not a good sign. That's what I like the least about being a leader. Sometimes I would like to just, you know, hide, (laughs) basically sit on my own, be a grumpy uh, someday and and for it not to have any effect uh, on stuff. So so that's that's what I like the least about uh, about being a leader another thing that's not you know always nice is that when you when you make mistakes because you make mistakes it affects other people uh which makes it which makes it worse it's it's one thing to experiment and and you're when you're basically the only one that's affected by the experiment or bad results of experiments but when other people are affected it's it's a much bigger bigger thing there's a lot of responsibility in there before we're starting to wrap this up this whole interview we're gonna wrap up the segment of leadership so last thing here if you have to and need to now summarize leadership from your point of view with one word what would that be according to you providing purpose for people and what they do and like a true entrepreneur I, i've seen this many times you are squeezing in at least two words, not one word, even though I asked you for one word. <laughs> Classic. You're always bending the reality as an entrepreneur. Uh, so providing purpose is what leadership is all about. And we are entering the roundup. The first thing here is if you would give yourself, when you were a younger CEO, I think 10 years back or five years back, one to three top things to think of that you now know that you didn't know, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to trust your instincts, um, trust your gut feeling. Don't be too self-critical and focus on iteration, on, on constantly improving bit by bit by bit. Start in a simple manner and then just make it a little better all the time. It's kind of that whole lean philosophy. I think it's very, very good and important to have that mindset in order to to do do stuff 
it's easy to overthink and try to reach perfection immediately. It's better just to do something and then go back and improve and improve and improve. So here we have the top three things. Trust your instincts, don't be too self-critical and focus on constantly improving bit by bit. Yeah. Thank you. And second last question then. This is just basically me fishing for other cool guests. Like you brought up from my community and other guests. Which other two B2B socios do you think are interesting, doing cool stuff, and would like to listen to in this podcast if I would interview them? One, at first I had <laughs> I had to change one because I saw he had already been on the show and that was... Please. You can say that too, so people can listen to that episode also. I would like to hear uh, from Ocean.io, uh, Mikael Heiberg. Uh, he's... In my industry, uh, and they have they're on kind of a different journey than we are, but I think it, it, it's very interesting in how they work with internationalization from Denmark uh, is uh, is very interesting. Uh, and the other one is is uh, Plio's uh, CEO. I love the the simplicity of their idea and how. Well, how they are spreading and growing, expanding all the time. Thank you for the name of the CEO at Ocean and you who listened. If you haven't listened to Jeppe in Cleo, yeah, I interviewed him in uh, in August. Uh, go go back and listen to him. Thank you for the, the names and the very last question. Where will you, Guava, be in five years? We'll be... Connecting B2B sellers and buyers even more efficiently than today. Making the whole marketplace, the B2B service and goods marketplace become much, much more efficient. Uh, that's, I mean, our big vision to do. That would be of great importance for the world because a more efficient world is a more sustainable world. And we'll be working closely with our biggest shareholder in Ento Group, uh, expanding in the Nordics, helping B2B companies. And hopefully, I hope we will have gotten far on a European expansion. I think we will have an, maybe an ARR of 150 to 200 million Swedish kronor. And I wish you the best of luck with that, Jonas. Now I'm quickly shifting the focus to you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Jonas in B2B SaaS CEOs. And number two, press the subscription button because I have great guests here coming up every week. And Jonas, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning. Thank you, Yusuf, and thank you for hosting this great podcast and for a very entertaining conversation.